Okay, that is recording. All right. Most excellent. Welcome to episode 148 of Auto Off Topic. Hello, Brad. We're actually two away from 150, huh? We are. We're very close to 150. Close to oh, halfway to something. Halfway to 300. Yeah, well, I was trying to think more of using 150 as a momentous occasion than waiting for 300, but, you know, whatever. Even 200 would be a good thing. Well, I, we failed miserably at celebrating 100, so we should probably try to do something. I mean, I'll be actually that means I'll probably be there for 150. You should. Yeah, so we, I can do we can do an in in studio for 150 because I'll be there next week. Mm-hmm. So that will work. So we actually have a couple leftover listener questions because last week, after we did listener question post, I shared a post for a story from like a year ago because Instagram lets you do that. And then a couple yeah. people, and it happened to be a question post. And I was like, oh, shoot, I didn't realize what it was. And a right. couple of people sent us messages with questions. So <laughs> I was like, all right, yeah, we can. Thank you for remembering that because I totally forgot. We'll totally remember them. So I have them here. I'll pull them up first uh, in my uh, Instagram. So the first one, uh, Whizbang Rally. People who part out cars are evil. Who part out complete cars are evil. Changed my mind. No, he's not wrong. Unless they're beyond repair, like rustier than something I own. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, no, it's kind of infuriating to uh, part out like a totally 100% complete car. Just sell yeah. it to someone and uh, let them wrap it around a tree and then part it out. Right. Although I, car, I did comment... At least the car then died doing... What it's supposed to be doing, driving. Although I did comment on someone's Facebook post about selling their car that I would rather part out my Subaru than sell it to like a 16-year-old because it would just end up blown up or wrapped around a tree anyways. So I might as well ah, sell true. all the parts off of it if I are going to get rid of it. But also, your car is the case where the car is really rusty and not really worth fixing. No, it's not. I mean, it's totally drivable. Somebody could drive it as is and then do with it whatever they want, but it's not like structural rust. Yeah, so it's not really... There's enough nice solid ones still left in the world to not worry about uh, saving that one particular one. All right. Uh, but no, I don't, I don't believe in running out cars that can be saved. No. Dexter VW, on a scale of one to enlightenment... How good is it to put a car on your back burner so you can finish your other two project cars? Well, two of four, but we won't count Grandpa's 51 MG TD. I don't, I don't really understand. Is it, is it make me happy to put a car aside to fix another one? I think maybe he's referencing that like enlightenment get, um, meme where it's like the head exploding oh, light. Yeah. So um, I, I don't, I don't like putting them on hold. I, but unfortunately, I do it all the time. Um, it becomes a which one do I think is going to be finished faster, and I'll move on to that one to get motivation for the other one, and then something happens to that one, and it also winds up getting parked. Right. Um, That's the issue. I wouldn't like. I try to keep it to just one uh, or two, like maybe two at most, but try to do definitely don't try to put them aside uh yeah yeah you're way better at that than i am 
I mean that I wouldn't. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't count his old uh, MG because that's like a family heirloom, and you'll just you'll get to it when you get to it. Hopefully sooner than later. But it's like that kind of car. Looking at the pictures of that car, you can go on his Instagram, Dexter VW. It's pretty cool. Like, I don't think he plans to 100% restore it because it's got a lot of wear and patina that's like tells a story. I think he just wants yes, to make earned. it run and like drive. Right. But I would, uh, I mean, I would stick with. It's definitely like, unless the car is like so, the project's like so wide open, then yeah, you might pause in that one and go with one that's little closer to completion well that is like the talking about the um uh the purple party conquest right like we were moving full steam on getting that car done until we realized it needed an engine that i don't have yeah so i have to buy enough parts to put an engine together in the car and at the time it didn't make any sense so we parked it and moved on to the white starion which we made a ton of progress on. In fact, maybe we can make some more progress next week when I'm home. And uh, that car is pretty much at the point where it's, you know, almost ready to put interior back in and drive. Yeah. So there's definitely, there's definitely some satisfaction in that. I think that's, yeah, he's probably right. That's probably welcome to Path to Enlightenment. Getting to legally drive your project car on the street for the first time in 10 years. Yeah, uh, is Ollie on your lap? He is. Can you hear him? Yep. <laughs> well, he was starting to growl at the door, and I don't normally let him on the couch, um, but I wanted to keep him quiet. What can you hear? Can you hear him groaning? He's just breathing into the mic. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Ollie, you got to get down then, buddy. Hey. Come here. All right. Now to get down. Off couch. Hey, come on. Off couch. There you go. All right, All right he's gone. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, have you guys ever used? This is from the Daily Downshift. Have you guys ever used a pressure bleeder, pressure brake bleeders? I just got one, and it definitely made a huge mess. Pro tip: Remember to release the pressure before you disconnect the hose, otherwise your 18 bottle of Motul 600 will go everywhere. Um, I've definitely made a big mess with them. I'm mm -hmm. not 100% convinced that they work super well. Because even using them, I still have had to bleed stuff the old-fashioned way, pumping it. Yeah. Um, they certainly leak a lot for whatever reason. Like, I mean, we used it on the Cadillac with the adapter for the big old-school reservoir. It's just a giant flat piece of aluminum with two chains that hold it. And it had never been used before, but the way it was packaged in the box, the re the clear tube that goes to it was kinked. And halfway through using it, spouted a pinhole. So I had to, like, stop what I was doing, release all the pressure, uh, wrap a towel around it so it wasn't spraying brake fluid everywhere, then cut the hose, and then reattach it. Uh, so, yeah, that was super annoying. Um, and then even with a good tight seal it would still drip down the sides of the reservoir. Yeah, I feel like we've never had good, good luck with a power bleeder. They still, they sort of work. They definitely make a mess, though. Um, it might make it so you have to pump the pedal a few less times. Yeah. But, I mean, a traditional way of doing brakes also makes a mess, so. Yeah, I. but I'm not 100% convinced that they work. 
So that we was all the leftover. We need to come up with a total loss system for leading race. No, what we need to come up with is the perfect gear Zero fluid, uh, like pump, like something that will stick oh, into like the bottle. Pump? Yeah, transfer yeah. pump, and then go into the differential or transmission, and just pump, and not spurt fluid all down the sides of the bottle, and not wear your arm and hand out because you're right. pumping it two inches. And you've got to do it a hundred times on three bottles. This sounds like something that shouldn't be that difficult. We just have a hose with a pump in the middle of it and a hose coming out the other side of it. Yeah, just like if you had like a a pump that could be powered by like an electric drill. Yeah, we could probably build one. Probably. Should look into yeah. that. Mm-hmm. All right, so those are all the leftover questions. Um, in other news, Lee Iacocca unfortunately passed away at 94. Yeah, I mean, he was 94, so he certainly lived quite a life. Oh, he did. There's uh, no uh, no question there. At least, he, at least he was born in 1924. Yep. That's a, that's a long time ago. Yep. So the Mustang was his creation? Mm-hmm. Not from a design standpoint, I don't believe, but from a idea. From a okaying it and saying, here we go, we need a sporty car. Yeah, we need a... Based out of what we have for parts. Yeah, like a personal sports coupe. Uh, that was like a thing that hadn't existed before. Well, it had in the Thunderbird. But the Thunderbird grew, and they didn't have one anymore. Because mm-hmm. by 64, the Thunderbird was a you know a big, full, five-passenger vehicle. And then it was interesting, too, because the Mustang shared... Like, it was basically platform-shared, right? It was a lot of stuff yeah. from, like, a Falcon. Yeah, yeah he wanted to, to save money by making this new car that was, you know, a sporty car for younger buyers but didn't have the stodgy image of a Falcon, because the Falcon at the time didn't really have a, a sporty image at all. Yeah. Um, so the Mustang was basically the same car underneath, um, but they marketed it as more sporty. So it became a sporty car, and then obviously they put bigger engines in and made it into a muscle car. But yeah. when the car first came out, it was designed around a six-cylinder. So. Then I believe he was a he did the Mustang too as well? Uh, the Pinto, Pinto, which turned into the Mustang too, but... The Pinto was, was his baby. Um, actually, the Pinto is what got him fired from Ford. Oh, because, because of, the, of the whole fuel tank debacle. Huh. Yeah. And then he went to Chrysler. And Chrysler was going to, at one of the numerous times, was about to go out of business. Right. Uh, Not 2019 Chrysler. No. Uh, it <laughs> or 2009 Chrysler. <laughs> they came up with the he helped come up with the K car and the minivan because those were all based on platform sharing. And that the K car and the minivan is like what saved Chrysler. Yeah, specifically the minivan, I think, didn't it? The minivan and the K car. K car sold yeah. really well. Well, I know that was that was the first of the uh, government bailouts too for automakers because that was what got Chrysler the money to develop the K car. Right. And the minivan. They were bailed out in like 78 or 79. Right. I think. Um, again, they were using their relationship with Mitsubishi at the time to have small cars because they didn't have any of their own. Right. Um, and a lot of car buyers in the States at the time were still anti-Japanese car and they knew that Chrysler's cars were nothing more than rebadged Japanese cars and they weren't selling as well as they Probably would have if they were their own, um, their own design and their own product. Mm-hmm. So, 
What is kind of ironic about that, though, is that a lot of the K cars and a lot of the minivans had foreign engines in them still. Exactly. I mean, there was, you know, the famous Chrysler 2.2 that went on forever, but a lot of those K cars and all the minivans had either a Volkswagen Audi four-cylinder mm-hmm. or a Mitsubishi four-cylinder early on, or some of the later minivans had Mitsubishi six-cylinders. Right. So there was definitely still a lot of a lot of more hidden sharing. It wasn't as as uh, obvious as um, making just a whole car and rebadging it as a Dodge. In fact, when they did that, even in the 70s and 80s, they marketed their Dodge Colts as imports from your local dealer. So they didn't try to hide the fact at all that they were Japanese cars. So right. I think that's what that's what hurt them more than anything else at the time because of the attitude towards Japanese cars at the time. And it's what brought the K car and minivan to the forefront. Yeah. Because there was also, Dodge buyers were like, oh, wait, here we go, an American car again. There was also an import quota. So Chrysler was only allowed to import um, so many vehicles yep. per year from Mitsubishi. And then when Mitsubishi wanted to open their own dealer network in the 80s, they had to pull from that same quota. So that's right. where you have the um, starting of the DSM plant in normal. Yep. Yeah, Coco was part of that in the early days. Yep. Yeah, was that opened in 88, I think? 88. Um, it originally, like, I think they broke ground in 85. Okay. And uh, that was to get around those import quotas by having the cars built here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, that still happens to this day. And then, uh, yeah, that's, I think he was also president at the time of Chrysler when they owned Lamborghini for a short while. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of weird <laughs> where he's like, there was somebody shared a story where he's, they're talking about how he was debuting the Diablo and mm-hmm. the Dodge Stealth at the same time. Well, do you remember the ad? It was a magazine print ad from 1990-whatever. I barely and remember it. It, now it had a bunch, of it, yeah. red, a bunch of red Chrysler sports cars lined up, and it went from like a base model Eclipse, uh, sorry, a base model Laser, yeah. up through a you know all-wheel drive Stealth RT, and then the last car on the end was a red Diablo. It was put in that same print ad. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. That's funny. Yeah, early 90s. Um, The other thing that he was a big part of was the purchase of American Motors. Oh, right. Which is super important because that's how Chrysler owns Jeep. Yeah. And obviously Jeep is huge. Their number one selling. Yeah, that's uh, the the Ram and the Jeep are like their bread and butter vehicles right now. So they can't not sell Jeeps. Jeep, one of those things that they could have a horrible year where every Jeep they built caught on fire and everybody go back the next year and buy another one. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. So, to think just this one person is so influential into is a man, like many spaces of automotive uh, industry in the United States. Yep. So, unfortunately, he's passed away. But, yeah, he had a long, long life. So, good for him. He did. He did. All right. Project Car Updates. Uh, I'll go first. I've been sure. helping out with the Spaghetti Rally car. Uh, it now... I got the engine to turn the other night by hitting the starter. And then... I know it was, we didn't talk about it on the podcast, but it was blowing fuses. Oh, I, we hadn't gotten that far yet. Okay. I'm going to talk about that. So the Okay, I thought, I thought you were starting after that. No, okay. I had gotten it to turn after I hooked up all the wires and triple-checked my wiring. 
basically I've run wires so they bought a separate swap harness completely independent of the factory harness and I talked about paring it down installing it yep. it still required some work into the original harness uh, we also wanted to get rid of the ignition switch so I moved those to toggles extended those wires and then a push button for the starter so I had to break out basically what amounted to a starter switch because it has like three switches in it so I'd basically put three switches separately um, then I hooked up you know the ignition wire trigger for the relays to the switch so when we flipped it on uh, oh I so before we did any of this like the pump was hooked up I used a power probe made sure the pump actually ran and we primed the whole fuel system by just running the pump by itself uh, and pushing the fuel out into a bucket and then we knew it went through all the lines and then we plugged it back in the engine so we knew we had fuel got the thing to turn over but it wouldn't fire by hitting the starter button so we're like alright no spark so we're like looking 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 um, realized like I remember that oh yeah the ECU is normally bolted to the body so that's a ground so I just put a little jumper to ground the ECU and then you heard the ECU came on and the throttle body came to life the little IAC motor mm -hmm. like okay cool uh, went to try it and it wouldn't work we're still no spark still no spark we're like looking double check the fuses again uh, one of the inline fuses in this harness was blown I'm like hmm okay uh, I wasn't around the other night but Jordan was texting me and he's going through it I was like alright well there's only three devices run off that relay in that power that inline fuse one is the MAF one is the coil one is the ECU unplug the MAF put a fresh fuse in it turn it on Okay, it doesn't blow. Cool. Um, plug it back in. Oh, no, sorry. It blew. All right. Um, plug the math back in. Unplug the coil. Still blows. Okay. Cool. Plug the coil back in. Put the fuse in. Right. I think I'm doing this right. Mm -hmm. um, regardless, you'll get the idea is that we figured out that the ECM was bad. It's shorted somewhere internally. I mean, it's a junkyard ECM. When you turn on the power, something's feeding back to the ECM and is blowing this power line fuse. So, uh, he had a spare fuse in there, put it in. In the meantime, while they were checking for spark, uh, they separated one of the plug wires, which is super annoying. So they just kind of put together with three wires, turned it over, and it blew a couple flames out of the exhaust. So the car wants to fire. It's got spark it's got fuel it just needs so four what was, cylinders what was blowing the fuses the ecm was blowing the fuse there's something it wrong bad, so it was a bad ecm something wrong inside of it okay uh and it's so likely, likely you had another one yeah and it's likely that um because the parts car he bought it off of that came with the engine the car never ran or started it would turn over so and okay. the car was parked so it probably That's had probably a why it was parked yeah, yeah. <laughs> If the guy thought it needed a fuel pump. So if you didn't know, you'd think, like, I guess it needs a fuel pump because it won't start and run. But right. when we're working through it, we're like, well, we know there's fuel moving and the pump's coming on. Right. So it's got to be the next thing, which is spark. And there's no spark. And there's no injectors firing. Okay, what controls that? The ECM. Because when you're kind of looking through this, like, we know that it's got a distributor but the camp is just in sensor 
basically, or the crank position sensor is in the distributor. So when it hits top dead center on whatever cylinder it needs to be, that's when it sends the signal back to the ECM. The ECM sends the signal to the coil and fires the coil. So since the ECM was not on, none of that stuff was happening. Basically. Okay, yeah. That makes sense. Because it's fuel injection, it's all controlled that way. The other thing that was interesting too, we were trying to hook up the scan gauge to it, uh, and it wasn't communicating with the ECM. So now I'm thinking back, because we were tired the other night, I'm like, oh, because the ECM wasn't powered up. It kept blowing the fuse. That's why it wouldn't communicate. It was getting enough power to the OBD port from the other side of the relay, from the O2 sensor side, to like power up the scan gauge, but no communication. So now that we have it communicating, if there's any check engine lights, the scan gauge will tell us, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome. And then we're recording yeah, scan, this. Scan gauge is a cool little, a cool little tool. Scan gauges are awesome. That. Yeah, uh, I have it in my Volkswagen now too, and it's been essential on like monitoring fuel use, and especially on my cross-country road trip. Oh yeah, I want to talk about a scan gauge in a second, but let me finish up the golf here. The we're recording this on the third. Um, because Thursday is 4th of July, so I'm actually going to go up there, and we're going to have a cookout, and we're going to work on the rally car all day. And that's how we're going to spend the day. And we're going to try to get it done. There is a sprint on Sunday. Don't know if we'll have it done for the sprint, but I'm feeling confident about getting this car ready for NEFR. That would be amazing to have it done for the sprint, but that would be quite a feat at this point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, there's still a lot of outside wiring for, like, headlights and stuff, but that stuff, compared to, like, all the engine stuff, is, is pretty simple. And the rest right. of it just needs to be organized and put back into place, because I just kind of pulled stuff down to access it. And, of course, that car is easy, because literally there's no, there's, like, no interior. It's just two seats and the dash, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we were talking about scan gauges, uh, and actually, I forgot this. Uh, the other day, when I went to start the Montero, it wouldn't start for like a little bit. I was like, that's weird. And it had hiccuped once the day before. It's like, all right, cool. Maybe it needs a starter. I had to put a starter switch in it last year and it was doing a similar thing. So I kind of like shook the shifter. Maybe it's a park neutral safety switch. I don't know, whatever. Waited a few minutes, fired up, called my dad. I was like, yeah, it won't start. Let's, can we check this thing out? Cause I don't want to put a starter if it doesn't need a starter. It's a pain in the ass to put it in. Because it's a little bit buried. It's not too bad, but also don't want to buy a starter for it if it doesn't need it. Yeah, why spend the money? So him and I spent uh, two or three hours just testing it with... uh, He's got a newer power probe and a meteor. A meteor. Multimeter. (laughs) And uh, it turns out, I think what happened... It's very hard to tell, but the positive cable had just enough corrosion on it that it wasn't making a good contact. Like, it would get enough, but not enough. Like, it was losing, like, a, a volt. Which is a lot, actually, uh, when it's a 12-volt yeah, system. Yeah, it's a good amount. I basically sanded it down so I could see brass on all the the positive cable going down to the starter, the positive cable going into the car, and just made sure, because the terminals are nice and clean, because that Optima battery doesn't leak any acid or anything. Um... I made sure those were nice and tight, clean. And then, the f- so this is the, the funny thing. It, it started every time since then. When I was looking at the scan gauge before, uh, this, it was doing this for a good year, but I just thought it was like, eh, it's an old car. It just does this. 
I'd come to a stop in traffic and you know the idle drops to like five or six hundred RPMs, which is it's a little low, but it's I think it's pretty still normal. Running. I think it's yeah, pretty normal. It's not like stumbling or anything. I don't think it's that far off. And if you put it in park, it, it comes up to like eight hundred for some reason. But if you're in drive and probably torque converter is dragging down on it, um, it would drop voltage according to the scan gauge to like twelve and a half, twelve eight. I'm like that's pretty low. I'm not happy, super happy with that. And especially at night, you have the headlights on. I go to like twelve and a half. I'm like, well, it's barely charging. It's a little weird, but you don't spend a ton of time sitting at stoplights. Um, so I was like, eh, old car stuff. Like, it's not doing anything like enough to really chase it. So I just let it go. And now that I've cleaned up the terminals, I've noticed come to a stop. It's at thirteen eight, thirteen nine. Then you get off and you start driving, and it's up when it needs to charge, you know, because you can see when the battery kind of comes up if the charging goes down a little bit, it's up at like 14.4. It might come down oh. like 14.1. Like, that's, it's right where it should be. And then it doesn't seem to have, it had like a little weird skip every now and then at light throttle and I think it was just like the car suddenly losing voltage and getting voltage. And I've seen this once before in the Galan actually. The Glant did it to me for like almost a year, and I noticed like when I drove across country in 2013, there was a couple times where like the radio and the car kind of like sputtered for a second, and everything like shut down and like booted back up. And I was like, okay, whatever, just gonna keep going because it seems fine. And then one day I had it somewhere and it wouldn't start, and Looked at the terminals. It looked great. We jump-started it. My dad came down. He was in Salem. Got back to the house. We're looking at it. Between the battery post and the terminal going to the cables on the positive side, it was losing like two volts. And if you looked at this thing, it did not look corroded at all. Like there, was no, there was no crusty corrosion. Nothing. Took it off. Cleaned it. Like It just had like a... I don't know. It's almost like a... It looks silvery, so it's really hard to tell that it's corroded, but it's not bright silver. It's like just a matte silver finish, and that's corrosion. And just cleaning that enough made the car work just fine. Hmm. Yeah, it was super, super weird. I have a video of it somewhere where we were looking at it with the meter. So, so now you've gone through pretty much the whole cable setup from front to rear, right? So that, yeah, that was the other thing. So we double-checked it down at the starter once I cleaned up those terminals and it was losing minuscule amount of voltage, very, very low voltage drop, which is totally normal. You want that, you want it as low as possible. Right. Uh, it, you'll see some, but it was so low. I mean, it was the way it was, it should be because it's like three or four feet of cable, but, and nothing was loose down there. So that's likely what it was because it hasn't acted up since, but it just goes to show you, it goes to show like you can't, like, sometimes you can visually look at it, and it'll look okay. And then it's so simple and easy, if there's any doubt, just, just clean up the battery cables with a, a you know, the, either some sandpaper or get one of those battery terminal tools. That's pretty interesting. Much yeah. Yeah, that's good. Oh, and then I, uh, I posted Instagram, but the WX Fender is basically uh, falling off at the bottom. 
gas rotted from being stuck behind that black, um, basically, moisture trap that is the rocker molding. Yeah, and then the inside, the fender liner was there that's now missing. Uh, yeah. Leaves would collect in there, and I do remember blasting them out of there with a pressure washer. And then I yeah. also looked up in there without the fender liner in there. It's got the drain for the sunroof. So it means all these years that leaves were stuck in there, you had moisture draining down in there from the sunroof drain. Every time it rained. Every time it rained. Which living in New England was every other day at least. So it, yeah, just totally rotted out the bottom of it, which kind of sucks. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to think about it. The car has never been garaged, and it's uh, 2005. Yep. So it's been outside for 14 years. Yeah. The only time it spent in the garage is when it was being fixed because it was broken. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not lived the easiest life. So, Yeah. And being in New England and being subject to all the other things New England brings along with it. Yeah. So. So, kind of a bummer, but I don't know. I can bolt on a fender onto it. So, we'll see. We'll see when I do yeah. it. Might just kind of stick the rocker up back up in there and just put the fender liner in it. I don't, I don't know. I feel um, like spending a ton of time on it. I would, yeah, put some double-sided tape behind it so it doesn't flap around. Yeah. <laughs> throw, maybe throw some, um, just some fluid film back there to stop it from yeah, getting worse. Yeah. Or throw, actually, you know what you should do is clean it out, um, get it as clean as you possibly can, throw some paint back there, some that rust converting paint. Yeah. And then put some fluid film on it so it just stays where yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly basically forever yeah i'll do that before um, i put the liner in but. yeah and if you wind up keeping the car and not selling it then and just driving it more then just get a set of used fenders for it at some point either they're black or red or yellow or whatever mm-hmm. just put them in the car so it's not falling apart but speaking of falling apart yeah the tires on my volkswagen are falling apart well they were they're not anymore so i bought the car mm-hmm. about a month about a month and a half ago Two months ago? Two months ago, I think. Yeah, it was May. So I bought the car in May. I put less than 10,000 miles on it. When I bought the car, they told me they replaced all the tires. They weren't a match set. They were different tires front and rear. But I was buying a used car, so I didn't get too, like, too, too picky about it. They were all decent tires. Everything had decent tread. Um, So I didn't think much about it. So fast forward to yesterday. I've now driven the car... Like I said, a little less than 10,000 miles since I bought it. I did drive it all the way across the country. Um, my low tire pressure light came on. So I said, that's weird. And then it came on as I was pulling onto the highway, which is always fun. Oh, neat. So I accelerate onto the highway, and I like you know turned the wheel left and right a little bit. It didn't feel super loose. Nothing was like obviously flat, flat. So I was like, okay, I'll go to the next exit that I know has a gas station. I'll put some air in the tire, and we'll figure out what's Which going is on. every exit in the Phoenix area. Yeah, almost. Yeah. So I got up to speed, and as I got up to speed, the car started shaking pretty bad. And I was like, that's weird. Um, thankfully, again, almost every exit has a fuel station at it. So I went to the next exit, which had a QT, which for our New England listeners is kind of like Cumberland Farms of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, so I pulled into the QT and I went over to where the fuel pump station is, or the fuel pump, excuse me, the air pump station is. Um, and I got out of the car and I walked around the car and looked at all four tires because obviously being in 2013, it doesn't tell you what tire is flat. It just tells you that, Hey, 
pay attention to your tires. Mm-hmm. Uh, and none of them looked flat. So it obviously wasn't at a point where it was dangerously low yet. But I walked out of the car, couldn't figure out when it was. So I said, all right, whatever, I'll grab the hose and uh, I'll go to put the air in the tires. So I start the machine up. Thankfully, QT has free air. So I get the machine running and I pulled the hose out of the holder and some enterprising uh, crackhead had stolen the brass fitting off the end of it. <laughs> so it had no fitting to put onto the tire, so I couldn't do anything at this particular gas station. Um, and then I kind of looked around and realized I was probably not in the best of neighborhoods. That was the first sign of many. Um, so I was like, all right, well, I guess I drive to the next gas station because it seems that there's not a flat tire, so I'll be okay. So I found a gas station that had a working air pump. Um, it cost $1.25. It wasn't a free one, unfortunately. But all four, three out of four tires were fine. And the one that was low wasn't super low. It had like 19 or 20 pounds in it. So, I mean, it was going down because the light probably comes on, I guess, like 28 pounds. Yeah. And it had around 20. It wasn't so fast that it was going to be flat before I got somewhere. But So I pumped it back up to like 40 just to make sure I had enough to get the car to where I needed to go to get a tire fixed. Um, where I'm living, right next door at the uh, complex here, is a discount tire. Mm-hmm. So I drove right to discount tire. Um, discount tire is actually a Scottsdale, Arizona chain originally. I think they're pretty much nationwide. Yeah, they are. They definitely are. Um, but I have to say, from every tire store I've ever dealt with, these guys were by far the best. They were super helpful and not pushy and not jerks, and like they let me decide what I wanted to do, basically. Um, so I rolled in there. I hadn't even like looked closely. All I knew was that I had a tire going down. I was like, hey. And they offer free tire plugs, even for not their customers. Huh. Which is amazing. It gets people so, in the door. Absolutely. And it got me in the door. Um, so I went and I went inside. I was like, hey, I have a tire going low. Can we, you know, take a look and see what's going on with it? And he's like, oh, no problem. So they go outside. They take all your information from your car. Um, and they go and look at the tire, and the edge of it is all cracked in between the treads. And if I had looked, I'd have noticed, but again, I was just annoyed. I just wanted my tire plugged. Um, I had broken a belt inside the tire, ah. and it was literally shifting and ripping the outside of the tire apart. And I could see metal belts, these little cracks, all around the edge of the tire. Huh. So that explains the vibration on the interstate. Um, then I went over to the other rear tire, and these are both Continentals, um, touring contacts or whatever. So I went over to the other rear tire, and it had the same damage, but not quite as deep, so it wasn't leaking yet. But that's why the tire was leaking, because it actually broke apart inside the tire. Hmm. So now I'm annoyed, because I bought this car 10,000 miles ago with the assumption that my tires would be fine for a while. Right. Um... I looked at the date code for the first time because I never paid attention to it before. And the date code is from, is from 2013. Yeah, it's pretty old. That's an old tire, especially out here where it's 115 degrees in the air, so the pavement is probably 160. Yeah. So tires out here don't last that long. Nope. Um, in New England, a tire from 2013 might last another 10 years if you don't drive it that much, but not out here. Right. So I'm a little annoyed. Um I bought two new rear tires. Um, they really took care of me over there. They were decent price. I mean, they have, once you buy tires from them, you have lifetime roadside, not roadside, but um, 
lifetime pro lifetime tire hazard prorated after so many miles, whatever. Um, and they do a little free rotation for you for the life of the tire. Cool. You can go back two, which is neat. So I bought two new tires from them. Um, made a decent relationship with them, obviously, because they're right next door. Uh, and they actually they've always done Naomi's tires anyway, so she likes them. And our other local friend down here, Ron, also uses them because um, they have like their own, you know, discount tire credit cards, and they do different deals all the time on like holiday weekends. They do like twenty percent off four tires, or buy three get one free, or all that kind of stuff. Hmm. So this is definitely a uh, a glowing endorsement for discount tire. Cool. So <laughs> my past experiences with you know Town Fair and NTB have never been good, but this is a really good. Really good one. Cool. So, but anyway, so I got two new tires. Um, I just got an off-brand to save some money right now because I don't want to spend, you know, another hundred and eighty dollars a tire on a new pair of Continentals. Right. Um, but I got a decent tire. So it's a. It's not even off-brand. It's a Fusion. It's not the worst tire, but it's just a normal everyday tire for a normal everyday car. Right. So. So that's good. So I'm kind of brand new again. Um, oh, the other part of that story is. I bought this car again two months ago from a Volkswagen dealer. Right. So I didn't do as much due diligence as I normally would buy a car. Right. And I didn't look to make sure it had a. First of all, I didn't know if it had wheel locks because Volkswagens have the plastic caps over the wheels. Oh yeah, I remember looking at it and I was like, oh, I don't think it has wheel locks, but I didn't realize that. Yeah, you got to pull those stupid little caps off. I forgot. Correct. So it has wheel locks. Yeah. And there's no key in the car anywhere. Yeah. Fun. Which is super annoying. So, also, and this will certainly be a bill going back to the dealership, I had to go to the Volkswagen dealer to get the key locks, to get the correct key lock to take the wheels off. They no longer sell that key, key lock because they change the designs all the time. time. Or, oh, this is what they told me anyway, and I have no leg like, to stand on. So, they couldn't sell me just the lock. They had to sell me a new set of four locks with a new wheel lock remover. Yeah, I maybe I don't know. That seems a little weird. Like Mitsubishi Listen, has the same twenty for the last thirty years, and yeah. they're just all mixed up. You don't know what one you get. And right. I would sell individual ones, but I'd have to, the only thing I'd make the person come down and I'd match it, and then I'd sell to it. Car. To them. Yeah, but that. So I'm pretty sure that's. I'm pretty sure that's what happened, but I mean, the price for four new Volkswagen studs without locks was $35 from Volkswagen. Right. And I was there, and I had to get taken care of there because they were taking the old ones off. And I couldn't, like, borrow the tool, take them off, and get aftermarket ones. So it was like, I was stuck either way. So I was at the dealership. The price for the brand new, four brand new Volkswagen studs was, like, $35 at the dealership. And the lock set was? And the lock set was, like, no, it was 50 Okay. So... The parts guy actually went out with me, and he changed them all over for me. Oh, so no labor, at least. So no labor, at least. So, I mean, the parts guy was really cool about it. You know, I, some other dealers probably would have charged me a half-hour labor or an hour labor or something, which, in that case, I wouldn't have done. I wouldn't just take the old off. I'll drive out of here with four. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, I mean, for the extra 20 bucks, and he changed them all over, I was like, whatever, I'm not going to argue. I'll just take them. And that bill is getting submitted back to the dealership about the car from because they should have definitely included that with the car. So it didn't. He didn't look in like the tool bag or anything. Sometimes they're hidden in there in the foam. Nope, there is no tool bag. There uh, is a foam piece that goes inside the spare tire, which has the jack. It has the um, the lug wrench. 
It has a little coily metal thing for pulling those plastic caps off. Yeah. Uh, and it has a slot for the lock, and the lock was not in the slot. Yeah, like I make sure to keep with Stephanie's aftermarket wheels. She's got a special key. I make sure that stays yep. in the car in the summertime right. when those wheels are on right. the car. And then when the other wheels are on the car, that that key stays in the car. So anyway, now the car has um, a proper wheel lock, and the wheel lock is in the spare tire. All right, so Container, now everybody so. knows how to steal your wheels. I mean, anybody who knows Volkswagen, anybody who's going to steal Volkswagen wheels knows where the key lock is. So it's inside the car, so you got to break into the car too, I guess. But yeah, I know. Key locks are kind of like a... Whatever, you want to steal my factory 16-inch base model wheels, you're more than welcome. Yeah, I guess it's like a crime of opportunity, right? It's it's yeah. slightly hard, so just move to the next car, right? It's not... Because mm -hmm. everybody knows that everybody's key lock is just in the car, because why would you not keep it in the car? Because when you don't, it's super annoying. Well, apparently annoying. it wasn't. So I'm just glad that the tire lasted long enough to get here and be driven around here and didn't, like, blow in the middle of Nebraska somewhere. Yeah. And then, because then I'd be stuck on the side of the road, possibly with no cell phone service and no way to get the wheel off. All right. Well, I guess that worked out. And then yeah, you've been... Out as best it could, I guess. Speaking of other red cars, you've been tracking down parts for the Euro Eclipse? Yeah, I have been. Um... I'm at a bit of an impasse with that car right now. I'm definitely still buying it, obviously. Right. Um, I am going to be sending him tires down there. Right. Um, there's a little confusion right now. I actually had to call him and download the podcast because I think the wheels he's putting in the car are not the turbines. Right. I think the turbines on this car are actually 15s. Right. Because they're not GSX turbines. Okay. They're a weird uh, Euro turbine. Okay. Uh, if that's the case, I'm actually going to be sending down. Um, I bought Dunlop Dereza DZ 102s. Yep. And um, a 16. Mm -hmm. But now I'm thinking the wheels might not be correct. Okay. Um, if that's the case, I'm going to buy a brand new set of Enki Comp 8s. Oh, okay. Um, so I got to make a phone call out of done recording podcast and figure out what's going on there because. Uh, I don't want to put later model Eclipse wheels in the car. No. Because they're ugly. Right. Um, and I also don't want to send him a set of 16s for a set of 15-inch wheels. Right. And I also don't want to buy brand new tires for a set of 15-inch wheels that will eventually be changed. Right. So if that's the case... Um, Those cars look better with 16s on them anyways? 16s and 15s for sure. I, I don't think I've be, ever seen one with 15s. Maybe a base model, base model, but... The base, base models have 15s, and they look bad. Yeah. Um, so I, I may be able to... Because I, I literally just ordered the tires um, earlier. So I may be able to cancel the order and um, do the Enki Comp 8s in a 16 by 7 with a 205-55 Dereza for a total price of $900. Oh, there you go. Right, and that Comp 8's a good-looking wheel. It is. And I think it would fit that car well, especially in that gunmetal color. Mm-hmm. So that may be what happens. <laughs> right. So, um, oh, and we'll then, uh, so is this, like, the first unofficial Vine car again? Yeah, for sure. Uh. Well, not the Eclipse, the Volkswagen. No. So, 
My mom's been talking about getting uh, early Beetle convertible for a couple years because uh, she had one, a coupe, a 75 Super from before my parents met till I was like three or four when they sold it. Yep. And I think they sold it basically when they bought the house where you, they live now, right? Yeah, it was one of the things they sold so they, they could yeah. buy the house. Um, my dad actually did some resto work to it. I think he said, like, I he said, like, oh, I took the fenders off because he had the whole car painted. Okay. And I think she, my mom said it was painted. When she saw your brown colt, she's like, oh, that's the color we painted the Beetle. Oh, it could have been. That was we a have, contemporary color at the time. Yeah, we have pictures of it, and it was definitely, like, a dark metallic brown. So I think it was that, like, root beer brown. And, like, you know, as I'm imagining this, I feel like old cars got repainted more. Is that a thing? That happened? Yeah, for sure. Well, paint wasn't as strong. Paint wasn't as quality as it is now either. So a lot of cars got painted more often back then than they do now. Yeah, because it's like... I, don't I mean, cars think... used to fade in Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't think cars... The paint lasted very long. I think you'd see... And plus it was like slightly less expensive to repaint a car. Yeah, well, a lot of things... One of the big differences then was paint was usually single stage. Right. So there was no clear coat. So there's no clear coat, which the clear coat is where the UV protection really is. Um, so yeah, cars got faded and they got painted, which is why you see a lot of cars that come from the West that are unrestored, been sitting in somebody's field forever, the, the quote-unquote patina car. Yeah. The paint's just baked off of it because it's there was nothing protecting the paint from the sun. Yeah. So it just faded into oblivion. So regardless, we uh, she was talking about this car, so you and I were like, all right, let's look for some cars. And you found some on Facebook Marketplace. A nice, yep. uh, my dad wanted a late car with fuel injection, and, uh... Basically, they were like, hey, we want a late car with fuel injection, we don't want rust. Brad, are there any available in Arizona? And, like, within 10 minutes, I had found, like, 15. Yeah, because <laughs> my mom just wants to drive it. She doesn't care if it's an early Beetle. She doesn't care the way it looks. It, to her, it looks like a Beetle. And Beetle's a Beetle. And a, and a late car is perfectly fine. It's They still don't look bad with the big bumpers they've got the big turn signals i mean to a purist they're going to want the early car but it doesn't matter she wants this to drive she wanted yep. a manual um and it's kind of it's a cool color it's yellow and it's got a black top which is probably the original color it's not it's, it's a, le yes it's lemon gelb yeah and then it's, it's got a nice color. brown interior yep and it's a really nice brown interior especially for a car from arizona cars are so cal car its whole life yeah uh, and then moved to Arizona about 11 years ago. Yeah. So it's got minimal, I mean, just like surface rust, which... Yeah, on like undergarage rust. Yeah, which will never progress because it'll never get driven nope. in the wintertime ever again. Or nope, ever. The only rust of any kind of the car is really all rust, yeah. no matter what the climate is, is underneath the rubber vinyl on the running boards. Yeah. Which they literally bolt on and cost like $55 for new ones. Yeah, and this is a... So, so it's a late car. It's got strut fronts... Uh, the fuel injection apparently convertibles got drums all around, but like Gia's would get discs, and I think Super Beetle Coupes would get discs. Disc fronts, yeah. Disc fronts, but um, yeah, because she had this, and then I remember her telling me a story that she went to Europe and backpacked for like a month or two, and when she came back, my grandmother had been driving her Beetle, liked it so much she didn't want to give it back, so. Her grandmother, my grandmother ended up buying like a yellow 
Super Beetle Coupe too, and she drove that for quite a few years. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, for as long as I can remember, your mom's wanted an air-cooled Beetle convertible, so I'm glad we're finally making it happen. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that's really... Uh, for uh, anyone should contact Brad and we'll work out some details with that. Anybody yeah, wants any yeah we, we, we found it. So she wanted, basically, she, she wanted a rust-free, nice convertible, and your dad wanted uh, a fuel-injected late wallet car. Right. That led us down to one year and one year only. Yep. So 79 is the only year for that combination. Right. It's so, literally like the last year of the Beetle. Yep. yep. I, I, so I don't think you found, get an 80. I think it was like 79, right? Yeah, last year in the States anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we, we found, found the car. I made the deal. I got them for basically the lowest price they wanted to pay. The price they were hoping to get it for. Yeah. The, the, the price they they wanted to offer for the car, I wanted to get in the car for. Yeah. So they're happy with that. Um, and we're going to get it shipped. We'll get it taken care of. And uh, they'll have a all original except for paint 65,000 mile 79 Beetle. Yeah. In Massachusetts. Yeah. With no rust. Exactly. You should be happy. Yeah. So, and if they were wanted to get rid of it, it's worth already more than probably what they paid for it. It's worth at least what they paid for it, if not a little bit more. Yeah. Probably a little bit more, especially for me out there. So, it's a good deal. It's a good car. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Post some pictures yeah. of that when it gets here. Yep, for sure. Uh, events coming up. You get the. Tell me Lots about the stuff. Rhode Island Melee. Uh, it's a Rhode Island Melee. Okay. It's a road rally event in Rhode Island that's coming up next Sunday. A week from Sunday. A week from Sunday. Yeah, the 14th, 15th, whatever that day is. Um, look or search Rhode Island or RI Mini Melee on Facebook. Right. Um, it's an event for pre-75 sports GT and sporting cars. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we are running it in my 78 Colts. Yes. Um, which uh, is post-75, obviously, but it fits the criteria by being... It's, it's got shiny bumpers. A, yeah, it, it, it's, it fits in. Um, they're not like the aesthetic. Yeah, they're not hard and fast on that seventy-five rule. No. Like if you have a seventy-nine MGB, there you're okay with that, or you know maybe even a late seventies Volvo two forty. Or anyway, it's it's supposed to be the aesthetic of a mid seventies and down sports car rally, mm-hmm. um, which that car fits. So we're doing it in that car. I don't know much beyond that. I do know that you have to find that Facebook group um, and message. One of the people in charge there. Um, I don't know if it's closed yet or not, um, but it's definitely pretty close if it's not, because uh, they are doing like rally numbers and T-shirts and stuff. So. Oh, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be fun. Take some pictures. Yeah, it it should be real fun. Um, I know a few of the cars that are going are pretty cool. I know there's a TBR going, um, a few MGBs. You know, I think uh, like a Jaguar XK. Um, this is just some cool stuff. So it should be a fun day driving around in Rhode Island. So that's on Sunday. Um, there is a Saturday night, um, I guess, gathering beforehand, too, if you want to get involved with that. I don't think we're going to be doing that, I think, because it's probably your wife's birthday. Yes, it is. So we probably won't be doing that. But <laughs> um, but Sunday, for sure, we'll be there. So I'm excited for that. Cool. Um, one week after that... Of course, is New England Forest Rally, right? Uh, which, unfortunately, by the time you hear this podcast, um, volunteer registration will be closed, right? Um, but, but you can still obviously go up and spectate, spectate. right? Uh, we would highly recommend you spectate because it's a good time. Um, 
if you can sneak your way into volunteering, it's the best way to spectate early on because you learn how the rally works and you learn places to see the rally from. Um, otherwise, yeah, go up there and ask questions and people will tell you where to go. So that's uh, the following weekend. Also, that same week, except for that's going to be Friday, Saturday. Yep. Also, that same weekend is the Misslewood Concord Elegance in Beverly. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, which is the fanciest car show in Massachusetts, for sure. Probably New England. Yeah, there are some serious, serious cars coming. I've been told there are some cars that have run Le Mans. Yep. Both pre- and post-war. Yep. Um, I, yeah, I... This is year not to miss. Yeah, I'll see how I feel on the end of Saturday night if I. So what down. I normally do, um, this is probably off-topic conversation, but um, is I leave the rally campsite very, very early Sunday morning, like 4 a.m. Um, that way, I get home in enough time to get back, take a shower, get cleaned up, and head over for the um, concourse at nine. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. And then the same Sunday, if you don't want to go to a concourse, this is in, the concourse is in Beverly, Mass. at mm-hmm. uh, Endicott College. Mm-hmm. Um, you, if you're just feeling more casual, there is a Southern New Hampshire Cars and Coffee. Yep, which is obviously a free event with good coffee and good people. Yep, that's at Coffee's Not Free. You get to buy it from the coffee factory. Well, it's a free event. But it's in the, <laughs> our usual spot, Salem, New Hampshire. And again, check the Facebook event for details and updates. Mm, maybe we could leave Saturday night and get to both of those things. Maybe. Doesn't Miss Wood start pretty early? Yeah, but I mean, we could be at the car show at 8, be out of there by 10, be at Miss Wood by 11, there's still two or three hours left at Miss Wood. <laughs> maybe. We'll see. So We'll see what happens. Anything we'll else? Uh, let's see. We covered the Iacocca. We covered the Vine Car. We covered our stuff. Oh, Junkyards in Arizona. Right. So we had already talked about going to the Vintage Car Junkyard. We did. When you came out and visited in May? April. Whatever month it was. April. Um, I, yesterday, for the first time, went to the normal, everyday, average junkyard here. Mm-hmm. So in Massachusetts, what we're used to is rows and rows and rows of either individual cars on the ground or maybe stacked one high. Right. Like one car on top of another. The first yard I went to yesterday, the cars were stacked three and four high. Oh boy. Which looks really sketchy. Um, and more than likely is really sketchy. Um, there's a whole road here in Phoenix, or maybe it's Tucson, it's right here anyway, um, that's just miles and miles and miles of junkyards. Weird. There's probably 30 of them on this one road. Um, I called all of them looking for a 98 clip for a couple of parts, none of them had any, but that's beside the point. Um, so many junkyards. The um, suicide lane in the middle of the road, like the left and right turn lane, kind of like 114 here from Massachusetts, mm-hmm. is littered with nothing but trucks and trailers and completely totaled cars. There's wow. no way to turn into that lane to change over the other side of the highway because there's just cars and trucks oh. everywhere. <laughs> they use it for loading and unloading, and there's so many junkyards that it's just... Truck and trailer, truck and trailer, rolled over, caught on fire car. Truck and trailer, rolled over, caught on fire car. It's just a disaster. And obviously there are parts everywhere. And 
that's why I assumed I got a flat tire, actually. I assumed I picked up a nail or a screw or a car part in this part of, you know, Arizona. Obviously, I didn't, but... place sounds like a war um, zone. It's ridiculous. So, the craziest thing I saw in this, out of this whole setup was... Do you remember when you were a kid and you had, like, a pile of Hot Wheels cars? Yeah. And it looks like a pile of sand, though it comes to a point at the top. They're just, like, in a bin, right? Like... There are car, there, but there is piles of real cars like that here. What? Yeah. So this thing at the bottom, the base, you know, bottom of this pile probably had fifty or sixty cars in the bottom. A giant and they pyramid of cars. It was a giant pyramid of trash cars. I assume they're all waiting to be crushed because they're obviously not trying to save them for anything at that point. Like you're not going to climb this mountain to get to the Lincoln on top to get a hubcap. You know, what I mean? Springfield <laughs> like, Tire Fire of whole cars. It's just a pile. There must have been 700 cars in this pile. Whoa. Just maybe not 700, but there was multiple, more than a few hundred for sure. Cars just in this pile of cars. All there for scrap weight, I'm sure. But I've never seen a pile of cars like that before. I've only ever seen them, you know, stacked too high. And here the three or four high. So, but anyway, I went up and down this road and I stopped in a few of these junkyards. And a couple of them told me right at the front gate, no, we don't have any eclipses, don't have any eclipses. I was like, all right, I'm going to stop getting out of my car because it's hot. Mm-hmm. I'll just start making phone calls. So I would drive down the road, and I'd see the sign for a place. I'd pull over, make a phone call. Do you have the car? No. Okay, next one, next one, next one, next one, next one. Finally, I give up, and I'm driving away. And I see off in the distance just another scrap yard in the back, and I see these piles of cars. And these cars are stacked probably six high at this right. point. Um. And I'm like, wow, there's a bunch of cars over there. And I look, and there is a early 90 Eclipse at the top of one of these stacks. Huh. I can tell it's an early 90 because it has black rub strips. Um, it, the car's already red. It's stripped from the firewall forward, so it just has the inner fenders and the radio support. Okay. But the doors, the doors are on the car. And I'm like, great, there's the car I need. Where do I get in this junkyard? So I drove around this junkyard for like 10 minutes looking for an entrance, and there's no entrance to this junkyard. There's no signs anywhere. So the only thing I can think of is this is just like an overflow area for cars that eventually wind up in this big pile. Because everything there looked pretty well stripped. Hmm. But the part is sitting there, like within my reach, but not within my reach. So I managed to track down through Facebook friends and people I bit a post and then I found the parts I'm looking for in Virginia. Oh cool. Yep. Pick, pick so I'm buying the car in Alabama. Uh where this guy is in Virginia is exactly nine hours from where I'm picking the car up. On the way. And then here. it's exactly nine hours from there to Boston. So it's exactly in the middle of this oh, perfect. of this trip. So it's a perfect I'll get there, I'll get the parts, I'll crash for the night and I'll start again Friday morning. I was going to say, because the other thing to start doing was find Phoenix area uh, DSM groups on Facebook. Yeah, well, I'm going to try to do that too, but they don't seem to be very popular out here. I think so. they were at one point. And... Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure I can find them eventually, but I'm not, not quite there yet. But I get the parts anyway. Uh, they're actually already even in red. I'm not oh, cool. sure what the what the uh, exact color match will be, but I'm getting that dent fixed in the quarter while I'm there during the week. So by the time we drive this car across country, it's going to be, like, brand new. So anyway, so did we talk about that being the plan last week? Uh, maybe. Is the – so is the trim broken or missing? The trim of the door is missing. Oh, okay. okay. 
and the trim on the rocker is usable but cracked. Okay. So it could be repaired. So I just got a nice new one. It's not cracked. All right. So uh, basically, the plan is buy the car in Alabama, drive the car from Alabama to Boston while I'm there for the week, drop it off at uh, a body shop that I'm friendly with, mm-hmm. have them fix the dent in the quarter panel, mm-hmm. put the moldings on. Okay. The car may or may not be painted at the body shop. I might have to paint it in the yard. We'll see. All right. Just, just the lower, lower section of the rocker and quarter. Um, and then you and I are going to drive the car from Boston mm-hmm. to basically San Francisco. Okay. For the NorCal Rabbit event. Yep. And then I'll drive it back from there to Phoenix. Cool. So we have an adventure coming up with this car, and we will certainly try to find a way to document this the best we can because we didn't do so good last time. Um, but we did a pretty good job, Naomi and I did, with the Sapporo documenting it the whole way. Yeah. But um, I think this way, this time here, I'm going to buy a bunch of memory cards. I'm going to try to do a time lapse. So. Yeah, I mean, the. Uh... The uh, Galan to Atlanta was a, a bit of a, a slog. We're trying to do it as fast as possible, so we didn't stop very often. Yes. Yep. We'll be doing this pretty fast too, but yeah, it'll be we not have a, as fast. But we have a full four days to make three days worth of drive. Yeah. So we'll be. I figure if, if we're doing ten to twelve hour days, yeah, which is totally reasonable with two people driving the car. Yeah. We'll be there in three days. Right. So shouldn't be an issue. But I'm excited. Uh, so look for plenty of content with that car starting. I'm going to get the car next Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. So I'll be driving it home after next Wednesday night. So start looking for content with that car either next Wednesday or Thursday. All right, cool. Yeah. I think that's a podcast. Exciting stuff. All right. As always, follow us on Facebook, Auto Off Topic Podcast, Auto Off Topic on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram, Raced in Anger. Uh, go follow the Gearhead Project, too, for us. Uh, and Brad, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at TSISS350, and they can find the workings of Vine, which will be coming back up shortly. I keep promising it, but trust me, it's being worked on, um, at uh, VintageImportsNE.com cool. or at uh, VintageImports New England on Instagram. All right, sweet. Keep cars analog and aim for the roses. Mm-hmm.